The Word of God is full of amazing women who did great things, worthy of honor. And our Wonder Woman that we're going to look at today is no exception. And the Bible, by the way, does not even give us her name. And ladies, there's already a principle in that. Some of your greatest things you will ever do will be unrecognized. You will not get the glory by name. You will not get the honor by name. And that's how you know that God is doing, or at least it's one way that you know that God is doing great things for you when he gets the glory and you don't. So let's aspire to that, men and women. But ladies, this message and this series is really meant to encourage all of you. Whether you're older, whether you're middle-aged, whether you're younger, whether you're a young girl, these messages are for you. They're meant to show you that God has great things he wants to do in your life. And our Wonder Woman that we're going to look at, is no, she's an inspiration for, and I hope you hear this, by the way. Let me, let me really grab your attention. That's one way to do it, I suppose. Get a little ringtone action going. Let me really get your attention. The message that you're about to hear is for every biological mother and every spiritual mother. And if you're not a mother of your own children... There's mothering for you to do in the kingdom of God. Titus chapter 2 details that, and I think it's a wonderful inspiration for all of us. But she's an inspiration for every mother, a mother in the family or a mother in the church. And we need these inspirations because there is an active effort in our world to destroy the family. Now, I'm going to shock you with some of these quotes. Now, you might think these quotes are from the early 1900s. This is the modern current agenda in radical feminism. But it's not just radical feminism that wants this agenda to come true. There are lots of organizations that are perpetuating what I'm about to tell you. Now, here's a quote from Roxanne Dunbar. She said this, Ultimately, we want to destroy the three pillars of class and caste society, the family, private property, and the state. Now, they're not kidding about this. You see, the whole mentality is you have to deconstruct something. You have to rip it apart. You have to destroy it before you can reconstruct. So they're on a deconstruction mission. Mary Jo Bain makes it very clear. In order to raise children with equality, we must take them away from families and communally raise them. You might think she's a whack job, right? I mean, she's a fringe lady. These are vocal, influential women in our culture. Helen Solinger said, we must work to destroy marriage. The end of the institution of marriage is a necessary condition for the liberation of women. Therefore, it is important for us to encourage women to leave their husbands and not to live individually with men. These are real statements, and I'm just giving you a sample. There are hundreds of these statements. This is a pervasive agenda that you may never have even been aware of. This is what is motivating the world system that beats powerfully against God's kingdom. 
And godly mothers, I hope you hear this. Moms, I hope you can hear me when I'm telling you right now. You powerfully interpose yourselves between your children and these evil systems. And the strength of a nation's leaders, they have been irrefutably impacted by their mothers, both good and bad. How about D.L. Moody, the great Chicago evangelist? who said, all I have ever accomplished in life, I owe to my mother. Well, how about President Abraham Lincoln, who said, all that I am or ever hope to be, I owe to my angel mother. I could have brought a lot more quotes if I had the time. Just how powerfully influential a mother is in her family, her church, and her nation. And we're going to turn to a passage. I'm going to invite you to be there with me. It's page 552 if you're using a Bible in front of you, or it's Proverbs 31 if you have your own Bible. Can I please invite every single person, young or old, get a Bible in front of you. Let's look at what God says in his word. It is living and active. It is powerful to change our lives. It will encourage us. I want to show you a lady who is a mother that the Bible gives no name how impactful she was for her own son. And it hits us hard right out of the gate. Chapter 31 of Proverbs, verse 1. The words of King Lemuel, now time out for a second. He's the one writing this. They're recorded in Scripture for eternity. What's he writing? Well, it goes on to tell us in verse 1, it's an oracle that his mother taught him. It's a prophecy. It's a teaching the word means that his mother taught him. Now, just a quick little background. Who is this King Lemuel? It might be kind of disappointing for you to find out. Nobody knows. But the majority believe he's not even a king in Israel. There are some who think that it might have been Solomon and Lemuel was Bathsheba, his mother's nickname for him. But that really doesn't hold up well under the Hebrew language that it's written in. Really, no one knows for certain. But it is very likely this is not even an Israel king. His name, Lemuel, means, and I think it's beautiful, your name means something. You should find that out if you don't know. It's likely very impacting to your life. His name means belonging to God. And he had a godly mother who raised him to live a righteous and just life. But listen, like many children, he had begun to walk away from her teaching. See, she taught him what was anchored in his heart. This is why he is now giving this as an oracle. Here's what my mom taught me, and I remembered it, the inference is, I remembered it as I walked away from truth. And ladies, right now, I want to encourage you, moms, I want to encourage you, your teaching is not in vain. And maybe one of your children or several of your children have walked away. Can I keep telling you your teaching is not in vain? It will echo in their heart. Keep trusting this. Keep putting them before the Lord. But what you teach them, they will remember. And I want to show you what she, what she taught them. I'm going to give you several glimpses of this. And the first one is this. She passionately underscored their relationship. 
Now, ladies, it starts here. Moms, you know this. You know this as well, maybe even better than I do. It begins here with your relationship with your children. It was Josh McDowell who said, rules without relationship equals rebellion. If you want the weight of your words to impact your child's heart, then there must be a clear and strong bridge of love that unites you. If there is not bridge, a bridge of love there, then your words will crush them and actually push them away from you. And a loving relationship, if it is indelibly, persuasively, convincingly evident, that loving relationship, it will bear up times when correction is needed. And this mother knows that. Look what she's about to say to her son in verse 2. What are you doing, my son? In case he didn't hear it, what are you doing, son of my womb? In case he didn't hear the second appeal, what are you doing, son of my vows? Did you get that progression? First of all, son, my son, son of my womb, son of my vows. There's a bit of an ancient version of I brought you into this world, I can take you out. It's kind of like that, I think, a little bit. Actually, I think it's a lot better than that. She's affectionately telling him. Now, ladies, I want you to hear this. She's telling him, you're the son that I dreamed about. You're my son. You're not any other lady's son. You're, not, you're no mother's son. You're my son. I dreamed of you. I prayed for you. And I bore you in my own body for nine months. You came from me. We are linked, and we always will be. And I have given you to God. You're the son of my vows. I handed you to God, submitted you to his feet, and said, God, I entrust my son to you. See, this Wonder Woman's heart beats with a love for her son that is without measure. It reminds me what commentary John Trapp, Pastor John Trapp once said, there is an ocean of love in a parent's heart, a fathomless depth of desire after the child's welfare and the mother especially. So she passionately underscored the relationship, but it's going to go on and you're going to see this build. She wisely mothered to his heart. Now, moms, I really want you to hear this. I'm going to go back to verse 2 again because she's correcting him. She does it three times. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? She wouldn't be correcting him if he wasn't doing something that had gone against her teaching. We're about to th see the three core elements of her teaching, but the fact of the matter is Lemuel was no longer a child. He was growing up. He was an adult, and he was walking away from God, and she corrects him. She had built a relationship with him, one that can bear the weight of her corrective discipline, and she lets him know three times, son, you need to see what you're doing. See, kids don't always live the way they've been raised, and Lemuel was no exception. And I really want you to get the nature of her questions because three times she asked him what he was doing. And these are not questions of a curious nature, like, what are you doing tonight after church? Or what are you doing tomorrow after work? That, that's a curious question. You're getting information. This is a corrective question. What on earth are you doing? Why are you living this 
way. See, the question when it's repeated three times, that's the Bible's way of an exclamation point, that she is emphatically pursuing her son. She is pulling him up short. She is making him, and this is the key, she is making him look below the behavior down into his heart. By the way, King David was a lousy parent when it came to this. The Bible does not even mince words. When his son Adoniah decided to commit an inexcusable breach of protocol, David is still alive, he's very old, he's about to die, he's still the king. And you do not coronate the next king until the, until the former king, or the, or the present king, rather, has died. Well, his son Adonai said, I don't want to wait for dad to be dead. It's equivalent to, I can't wait for you to die to get my inheritance. I want to get it now. So Adoniah, while David was still alive, walks through the streets of Jerusalem and has a parade and a procession where he makes himself the king. It's an inexcusable breach of protocol. And the Bible tells us why he did that. It's in 1 Kings 1.6, an incredibly powerful statement. His father, David, had never interfered with him by asking, why do you behave as you do? This is bad parenting. If you never get your child to start looking down into the motivation of their hearts, then you're just, behave, you're just parenting to the behavior. See, wise parents know that's not enough. You can't just address a child's behavior. You've got to get below it to the root of that behavior. You've got to get to the heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. You might, might be asking yourself, why do I keep doing the things that I do? Why can't I get a handle on this part of my life? Well, the problem's your heart. It's all coming from your heart. If you want to change your behavior, you plead with God for the power of gospel to change your heart. And wise parents realize that just like weeds, you can't deal with it until you pull the roots up. Well, your behavior must get a window for you to wisely get down into the hearts of your children, to the root. So the mother aims at his heart. She asks him, examine why you're behaving the way you, you are. Why are you doing this? What are you doing is meant to get him to look at that root. What are the motivations? What are your dreams? What are your desires? What are your expectations? What are your demands? All of those live in your hearts, and parents know how to get there when they're wise. Otherwise, they stay at the surface, and you cannot change behavior. You can threaten them. You can ground them. You can take away blessings, but you will not change what's in the heart until you get there with the gospel. See, she doesn't hold back. She warns him to change his ways. You know, the strongest grief that I have ever seen in my life is the grief of a mother who has lost her child. I've had the privilege of helping mothers walk through that Horrible, horrible emotional grief. But the second strongest grief that I think I have ever seen in my life is the grief of a mother whose child is, has walked away from the truth and is spiritually lost and living in sin. 
See, there's a reason the Proverbs 10:1 says, a wise son brings joy to his father, but a foolish son grief to his mother. Ladies, if you've had a child that has walked away from the Lord, you understand. Husbands, you as well. Fathers, you know it. But this is a woman that absolutely loves her son. And she is going to correct him, even if he's an adult, and get to his heart. And she is going to do what we see next. She strongly warns him against sexual immorality. Verse 3, do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. Now, when the Bible is saying this, right after she says, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Well, now you know what he's doing. And our Wonder Woman gives it to her son straight. You've got an unhealthy sexual pattern with women, and it needs to stop now. Now, let me say something for a moment that puts me right straight in the mirror just like it does everybody in here. Because the Word of God is speaking to me just like it is to you. Sexual sin is serious. And when it is unrepentant, well, you're going to see what it will do, because she warns him. But when it is unrepentant, and when you will not turn away from it, I'm going to tell you something, it will not only begin to destroy your life, it will definitely destroy your relationship. I have done so much marriage counseling, and I have not ever seen an exception to this. That if you are not faithful to God before you are married with your engaged one or your girlfriend or your boyfriend, you will suffer and you will struggle in your sexual marriage life. I have never seen an exception until you profoundly come to the Lord in repentance. And he can heal even that damage. But if you've got the idea of license and liberty, I know God will forgive me, and I know what we're doing is wrong, and yet I'm just going to keep going and ask God to forgive me, you are putting irreparable harm into what will probably one day be your marriage, and that may never heal your entire wedded life. She's telling her son, if you do not listen to me, You're going to lose your strength, and you will be destroyed. You cannot get any clearer. Your ways to those who destroy kings. You see, pursuing sex in any illegitimate form, whether it's with another human being or pornography, it gives away your self-dignity. It gives away your self-respect, your self-control. Listen, you forfeit peace with God. You know that experientially if this is your struggle. And it will exhaust your soul. Where even rightfully you should have a hard time even worshiping God at church. See, the phrase destroys kings means to rub out and erase and completely remove. See, immorality can erase, it can rub out any good that you have ever done, and the result will be felt in whatever institution you lead, the company or your family or your nation, wherever, you, wherever your impact is, it will be removed any of your influence if you allow sexual sin to destroy you. You cannot find a better example of this in the Bible than Solomon, 
It was sexual immorality, 700 wives and 300 concubines, that led to not only Solomon's downfall, it split the entire kingdom of God, uh, the entire Israel uh, kingdom into the northern and the southern tribes. Split Israel. Eventually, it led to untold deaths by Assyria and Babylon. Now, let me pause for a moment because I would imagine that some of us here are convicted, feel that burning inside of you. I've felt that so many times. And I want to explain something that is really important for me to know that you understand. If you're not careful, not, please hear what I'm going to tell you. If you're not careful, you're going to leave from this sermon feeling like a moralistic message just put a 10-ton weight upon your shoulders. Because what you can get out of here if you're not careful is don't drink wine and don't visit women. And some are going to feel really, really self-righteous because you're not struggling with either substance abuse or sexual immorality so there's two possible horrible ways that you can leave church today one is beaten down and knowing what god is telling you to do but feeling absolutely shattered in conviction like you'll never ever be able to make it right again that's one horrible way and the other horrible way is to walk out of here going man i'm glad i'm not like the other persons in that church I'm righteous before God in all my ways. That would be equally terrible. See, King Lemuel's mom is not just giving her son a moral list of do's and don'ts. She's reminding him he's the king. He's the son of her vows. In other words, he belongs to God. He is God's. And she begins by bringing him back to who he really is, his identity, if you will. And we would really profit by letting her words do the same for every single one of us. Christian, I want you to hear me. Let me do this for you right now. So you do not leave here shattered beyond hope or inflated with self-righteousness. Christian, you are the child of God. He has set his sights on you before he created this world. He made a promise to redeem you. You are the son of his vows. And he has given you a new birth, a new heart, a new family. He's given his spirit to live in you, to strengthen you, to teach you to live in a way that is worthy of his name. He has vowed for you. He has promised an inheritance to you. The spirit of God is simply and awesomely a down payment on that vow. So you've got Lemuel's mother, who is the voice of wisdom, and she only speaks in place of the true voice of wisdom, the Spirit of God, and he is speaking deeply into your heart, even right now, even if you don't recognize that. If you're struggling with sin, he's speaking to you, repent and turn to me, and I will wash you whiter than snow. And not only will I cleanse you, I will give you the power to live right because you don't have the strength to do it, and neither do I. See, we are the royal children of God, so don't waste your strength on sin. It will lead to your ruin. But that's not the only struggle that Lemuel's having. So she moves on to a sober life of self-control. 
She strongly cautions him against worldliness in verse 4. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Give, drink, give strong drink to the one who is perishing and wine to those in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more." Now, you might think that the latest rage of IPAs and craft beers is kind of new to the society of human people. It's actually been around for, since 4000 BC. They were making wine from dates and grapes and even making beer. And in the pagan Babylonian creation story, the, as the gods feasted, the story goes, they were making, listen to this, they were making sweet liquor flow through their drinking tubes. They even had 4,000 B.C. straws. And Lemuel's mother, this is no modern to our age problem. Alcoholism and substance abuse have been around since the dawn of humanity, practically. And she sees that he lacks self-control. He's looking for happiness in a bottle. He, he, he's, he's proven, by the way, or this has been proven, alcoholism, disastrous, and more leaders than can be counted. See, alcohol and drugs were common problems in the ancient world, and that might shock you. That might actually surprise you. It's not just in our modern world that it's a problem. And she warns Lemuel, if you continue on this track with drinking, it's going to render you ineffective in the judgment a leader must have. The ancient Carthage people had a law that no magistrate, no, no judge, of theirs should ever drink wine. That was a law in their law books. The Persians permitted their drinks to get drunk one day a year and never any other. You've got Athens, you've got Solon, the great lawmaker. He's a lawyer. He created a law that put a prince to death if the prince was guilty of drunkenness. And the principle is this, and I hope you hear this, the greater your responsibility, the greater your need for self-control. It's not for the royal people of God to be out of control. Let me just say it super clearly. It is never okay ever to be drunk. It's never okay ever to take drugs. They're going to alter your minds. It will lead to your ruin. She's not prohibiting alcohol to all people, and neither does the Bible. What she's prohibiting is getting drunk. She tells her son that strong drink is for those who are dying. In other words, those who are about to be executed publicly, let them get drunk and forget what's about to come, the end of their life. And it's for those who are poor and miserable. But she's not contradicting the Scripture's command to avoid drunkenness, even despite what I just said. She's not recommending that if you're miserable, go drown your sorrows in the bottle. Getting drunk only increases misery. And you know that if you've ever been drunk. She's sarcastically telling her son, the king, do not stoop to the level of someone out of control in their lives. You're the king. Keep your head clear so that you can judge well for the sake 
of the people. This is why the Bible says, Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Let the Spirit control you. But you might think, well, man, does this mom ever say anything positive? Is it all negative? Well, she's going to turn to more of a positive track in verse 8. She is an incredible mother. She boldly encourages them to live right. Open your mouth, Lemuel, for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. Her earlier advice to avoid spending strength on sex and beer was all leading to this. It was, it was to get him to really focus in life on what really matters, those who are in need. You see, a godly mother, and moms, I want you to hear this for a moment if you would. A godly mother's teachings are a force for good. And you know, sometimes your mothering and sometimes your words are going to work like what happens, I think, in every single person when they go up over a rise or go around a curb and see there a police officer out with his radar gun. What is the instinctual thing that you and I do? We take our foot off of the gas and we put it on the brake. Even if you're going the speed limit, you do this. See, wise mothering puts a constraint on evil. It gets the brake pumping on a sinning sinning child. But it's not just that. She also puts his foot on the gas and says, let's get moving and what really matters. It's important that you live your life for those who are in need. So you need to understand something. When When you get to the New Testament... There was an actual attitude towards those who were poor in this world that viewed them as the most despised state of human living possible. In fact, Roman Plato tried to legislate that the poor should be banished out of Rome's land. And if anyone attempted to beg, he said, you should be driven across the border so that our land would be cleansed of such lowly creatures as you. That was the pervasive mindset of the New Testament world for those who were poor. But what's it really mean to be poor? Because you got Lemuel's mother who is encouraging him to live his life for the poor. Well, it's in the literal sense, obvious, of lacking material necessities. That's certainly what it means to be poor. But you're ready, it evolved. And words do that. Words meant something 100 years ago that mean a little bit differently today. It came to mean the word poor, someone who lacked power. What we call the vulnerable. That's who the poor are in the word of God. They are downtrodden. They have no one to defend them in court, no one to speak up for them in a community. Psalm 35, all my bones shall say, O Lord, who is like you, delivering the poor from him who is too strong for him, and the poor and needy from him who robs him. A poor person was a person that lacked the power to provide not only material necessities, but emotional, physical protection. And it could, it could hardly be overstated that the heart of God beats fiercely for the poor and the downtrodden. Psalm 34, 6. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. God's heart beats for the poor. 
So Christian, listen, you and I must speak up for the poor. We must speak up for the downtrodden, what the, what the Bible calls here in our passage, the destitute. Those whose lives have been stripped of hope. She tells him twice, speak up, open your mouth for those who have no voice. Now, who are the ones that have no voice? Now, can we just agree immediately? Certainly, those are babies in the wombs of their mother that are being aborted. Certainly, that's one demographic and an incredibly important one. They have no voice. But it's also for those who are being trafficked. Little kids that are being kidnapped and put into the sex trade. And by the way, this is happening all over the Lehigh Valley. So regardless of your political positions, I hope you can hear this. Regardless of whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, maybe not if you're a socialist, but if you're any of the other ones, listen, God's people must move to do what we can for the poor and the helpless that are fleeing evil regimes and suffering in order to find a help and a protection in this country. At least have that mindset because I'm guaranteeing you that's the way that God sees them. He beats for them. It would be unthinkable, unthinkable for us to close our hearts to anyone who is helpless. And it goes beyond border control and border policies. Do you defend the, right, do you defend the rights of those being bullied in your schools? I mean, what do you do when another kid's being bullied? Do you just walk on? Listen, you're not beating for the poor. Your heart is not for them. You just feel bad for them. If you're really going to respond the way God does, you do something about it. Or for those who are being taken advantage of by their employers and, and you're one of the employees, what do you do? Do you defend the right of your coworker? Do you speak up? Do you do what is in your power to do, even if there's a personal cost to yourself? See, this mother calls Lemuel, her son, to live a life, look what it says, that will defend the rights of the poor and needy. The Bible says the poor and needy have rights, and they have the right to be defended by people. Mothers, you have an incredible influence with your children. I hope you hear that. I want you to walk out of here encouraged. Your words will not return void. That is echoing in the heart chambers of your children even if they're 30 and 40 and still not living for the Lord. And this Wonder Woman stands as your witness. She is encouraging you and perhaps even maybe challenging you. Are you living out your influence with your children? Listen, if you're hustling your children from one activity to another and you're allowing a frenetic pace in life to prevent your family from even getting together. Listen, that's not wise mothering. And all you're going to do is make your children believe that they're truly the center of the universe and a wake-up call is going to come and they may never be able to handle it right. Are you teaching? Are you modeling lives of purity? Are you modeling a life of self-control that is possible by the power of the gospel? Are you modeling helping those that are in desperate need, coming around them to deliver them from their poverty? So what's our takeaway? Well, here it is. Mothers, build the relationship with your children, whether they're young or old. Just build that bridge. Convince them so they will never be able to doubt it. They are absolutely loved by you. 
but aim your words to their hearts. If you don't like their behavior, don't get hung up on that behavior. All you're going to do is get them fixating on the behavior you cannot get to their hearts. You go down deeper to the roots of that behavior. You go down into the motives, the dreams, the demands, the expectations, and you bring God's word to bear. And you'll warn them all their entire lives, even if they're 40 years old, 50 years old, warn them against sexual immorality if you see that being a problem. It doesn't matter how old they are. Caution them against worldliness if you see that being the problem. Fight against a life that they lack self-control. Teach them what it means to be controlled by the Spirit. And encourage them to live on behalf of those who are helpless. This is an amazing woman. And she was used by God to do incredible things for her son. He was the king of the nation. You don't get more influential mothering than that. And she shows us how to mother to the heart. Here's what I want you to do if you would do this. If you're feeling, whether you're a guy or a woman, if you're feeling convicted from this message, listen, here's the worst thing you can do. Nothing. That's literally the worst thing you can do. Because if you're feeling convicted, that was the voice of God himself. Now certainly I have the power and moralistic terrible preaching to put false guilt on you, but if you're feeling true guilt, then that's coming through his word into your heart from God himself. The only right response is repent. Confess. Repent. Change your ways immediately. Don't wait till next Tuesday. You'll never do it. But don't give in to despair. Don't give in to hopelessness. Don't compare yourself to Lemuel's mom. You are a daughter of our Most High God. And his spirit lives in you. And he will teach you, even if you've made mistakes, he will teach you how to go forward. Walk with him, keep praying to him, watch the wisdom that he pours into your life and that pours out of you to your children. And you will be blessed with God's favor upon you. Amen? Let's pray.